My name is Amy Wilkinson. I'm a White House Fellow. My question is how you would define the key characteristics of effective leadership that allow you to go and be an advocate for good. Trust. The, the longer I have uh, been in public service and the more people have asked me about leadership over the years, uh, leadership ultimately comes down to creating conditions of trust within an organization. Good leaders are people who are trusted by followers. Leaders take organizations past the level that the science of management says is possible. Uh, one of my sergeants back in uh, the infantry school at Fort Benning almost 50 years ago, which is where I learned everything I ever got to learn about leadership, was at the infantry school. And he said to me one day, he said, Lieutenant, you'll know you're a good leader when people follow you, if only out of curiosity. <laughs> I've never had a better definition because what he was saying, and, I, and I've, seen it, I've seen it experienced in my life so many times, what he was saying is they trust you and you have built up that trust. How did you do it? Clear mission and statement, selfless service. Um, people look to you and they trust you because you're serving selflessly as the leader, not self-serving, selflessly, and that you prepare the followers, you train them. You give them what they need to get the job done. Don't give them a job if you're not going to give them the resources and that you're prepared to take the risks with them. And so they would teach us at the infantry school, no matter how cold it is, Lieutenant, you must never look cold. No matter how hungry you all are, Lieutenant, you must never appear hungry. No matter how terrified you are, Lieutenant, you must never look terrified. Because if you are scared, terrified, hungry and cold. They will be scared, terrified, hungry and cold. I've gotten away with that many, many times in the course of my career by being scared to death, cold and wanting to go to sleep. But no, let's go. Let's keep going. Let's go around this corner, if only out of curiosity. And they'll follow you into the darkest night, down the deepest valley, up the highest hill, if they trust you. So the essence of leadership is about doing all that the science of management says you can with resources, but then taking that extra step and giving it that spark. And that spark comes from getting people to trust you so that they will follow you, if only out of curiosity. GlobalRecon.net giving you the matter of facts. Welcome to the Global Recon Podcast. I'm your host, John Hendricks. For this week's podcast, I had two guests on, uh, both Marine Corps uh, veterans. Well, actually, one is active. The other is retired. Uh, John Brown is the president of the Recon and Sniper Foundation. He served with uh, Reconnaissance Marines for a few years before retiring, and now he runs the Recon and Sniper Foundation, which does very good work assisting Marines from the reconnaissance community, from the Marine Scout Sniper community, from the MARSOC community, with struggles that they may be facing, uh, helping with transition and, and several different uh, facets that's important to Marine Corps veterans, and they do really good work. And the second guest who was on with us is Lieutenant Colonel Drew Ralston, and the lieutenant colonel is the 3rd Reconnaissance Battalion commanding officer 
so you know he had some interesting things to say and we spoke about leadership um the way that they connected was down where lieutenant uh colonel Ralston is based there was some pretty heavy flooding and a lot of marines including himself had their houses damaged and people were going through some really tough times and they hooked up and, you know, rolled up their sleeves and got to work and really did some cool things for Marine Corps veterans and, and other veterans as well that lived in the area. So it, it was interesting stuff. And then obviously with the peaceful transition of power taking place and Donald Trump is now the officially the 45th president of the United States, there's been a lot of protest a lot of opposition to some of his ideas. Um, and at the same time, there's been a lot of support for uh, the new president. So I think regardless of your beliefs, the next four years are going to be very interesting. And there's going to be a lot of changes in the world for the better or for the worse. So it's definitely going to be interesting. And it's kind of an exciting time to be involved and to be informed and to understand you know, what is taking place so, you know, I'd mentioned several times on previous podcasts that we were working to put together a team of veteran writers to gear up to release articles to the Global Recon website on a pretty consistent basis, covering topics from transnational terrorism, talking about geo the geopolitical scene, military history, uh, veterans issues. Uh, tactical medicine. And so far, the team is coming together. Uh, I have a few people who are very smart, very experienced, and they're very eager to start getting this writing out and kind of give you guys a perspective and, and help keep people informed and, and that sort of thing. So it's very exciting. It would be a lot of work, but it's something that I look forward to doing. Um, my friend Tim Kozak with the Veterans Project, my friends from Zulu Foxtrot and Zill Films Productions, uh, Nate Boyer, a bunch of different people, uh, Miley Cardenas, were out in Utah at the Sundance Film Festival, and they had an event uh, hosted by Reminder Nation, and they were showcasing, and we spoke about this on previous episodes, they were showcasing uh, Tim from the Veterans Project's work, some of his artwork, some of his portraits. It's very good stuff. Zero Films Productions, they have been doing some awesome documentaries on Vietnam veterans, and now they're, they're doing some other stuff, and it's really cool stuff, and it's really cool to see. And you know, with that being said, now I will play the conversation that I had with John Brown, the president of the Recon and Sniper Foundation, and Lieutenant Colonel Walston, the 3rd Force Reconnaissance Battalion's commanding officer. Hey, what's up, guys? On for this week's podcast, we have a special episode with some special guests. Uh, we have two guests on for this week's episode. Uh, the first guest is John Brown, and John is the president of the Recon and Sniper Foundation, and he served with uh, 3rd Recon Battalion, Force uh, Recon Marine. And our second guest is Lieutenant Jewel Ralston, and he is the 3rd Force Reconnaissance Commanding Officer. Um Guys, how's it going? Doing well. 
Doing well. Thank you very much for having us on the show. Yeah, doing great, John. Thanks for having us on. No, thank you guys for coming on. I, I know, um, you know, you guys have a lot going on. Uh, John, shot show just passed, and uh, I know you guys were, were busy out there. How was that? Shot show was amazing. Um, so, you know, the, the Recon and Sniper Foundation. A couple of us went out to Las Vegas a couple uh, two years ago uh, during Shot Show, and just being around like-minded Americans and our fellow veterans, we decided that that would be a, a great venue to have a fundraising party. Um, so over the last year, we've been planning and preparing and uh, made that happen last Wednesday night during SHOT Show. Uh, we had a great time. Um, we were expecting like 100 to 150 people, and we had upwards of 400 people. Oh, wow. Uh, we, yeah, we raised a ton of money. Uh, we met a lot of great people, and I think we solidified ourselves uh, for SHOT Show for future fundraisers, but also let people know, you know that we're legit, we operate in a good way, and um, – yeah, we're here to stay. And the, there's another there's another group out there that's doing good stuff to help veterans. So uh, ultimately, it was a major success for the foundation. That's awesome. And so. and you and Drew hooked up uh, working with your foundation as well. And we'll get into that in a second. Um, before we get into that, can you just explain, you know, what the foundation is about and and that sort of thing? Absolutely. So. Um, Recon and Sniper Foundation is made up mostly of former reconnaissance Marines like myself uh, and Marine snipers. Um, we have, you know, there's private social media networks out there, uh, Facebook and Twitter and other stuff. And we have a private Facebook uh, network of former recon Marines, uh, recon corpsmen, snipers, and MARSOC operators. Um, and over the last few years, as things within our communities would pop up where there was a need, where someone was uh, having an issue with drugs and alcohol, or we lost somebody, um, or suicidal, or whatever the emergency was, we would collectively come together and address the need. And out of one of those private groups, uh, we decided to make it a formal effort and create the Recon and Sniper Foundation, an actual 501c3 uh, nonprofit, and then begin uh, providing assistance to veterans in need. Uh, so again, we're, we're former recon Marines and snipers. Um, our title sometimes throws people off as to who we help. But, um, if you are an honorably discharged veteran, if you served our country honorably, and you're now in a position where you need assistance, whether you served in world war two, or you just got out yesterday, um, you're eligible for our assistance. Uh, unfortunately we're, you know, as you guys probably know, we're losing, upwards of 20, 22 veterans a day to suicide, which means mathematically we're losing uh, more American veterans in a year to suicide than we did collectively in combat in Iraq and Afghanistan over the last 14 years. Uh, so we've got an, a major situation, and um, I think we have an obligation, those, that, you know, those of us who subscribe to the Brotherhood and want to do something about this, not just to take care of fellow recon Marines and snipers, but the entire veteran community that is unfortunately being neglected. So that's who we are. And, uh, that's in a broad spectrum. That's, that's our mission. Right. And you know, it's, it's obviously a big problem that, uh, the veteran community is facing and top of the, the issues that you, you deal with coming back from war, I feel like from a lot of conversations that I've had with different veterans from different uh, branches on the subject, they a lot of them felt like 
a majority of the issues came from the separation from the military. And some people also felt like perhaps, um, you know, they, they, they were prepared to do their jobs in combat and perhaps there wasn't a big enough effort, uh, to help prepare them to return to, you know, uh, society as a civilian. And that's where some of the issues kind of arise. And I'm not sure if you guys have, have, uh, you know, feel that way or Absolutely. You know, have dealt with some of that. In fact, that um, that's the majority of the cases we see where, you know, PTSD and other combat related um, injuries are a major issue. Um, but the majority of the emergency situations we see are stemming from uh, people just getting tripped up in life. And as you alluded to in regards to a lack of proper preparation for when men and women get out of the military, uh, you know, I can, I'll speak for myself. I went into the Marine Corps, uh, for a lot of reasons, but one of them was because I wasn't ready for the next step in life. And I think a lot of other men and women are in a similar position. There's patriotism, there's uh, family heritage, there's all, all these different reasons. But for me, and I know others, because I wasn't ready for college, I wasn't ready for the next step, and I needed to mature and kind of get straight, um, that motivated me to go in the Marine Corps. And so you get out, and yeah, you can jump out of an airplane at 28,000 feet, or you can shoot a bad guy from a mile away, or rewire a Harrier, but if you don't know a proper interest rate for a car loan, or how to balance your checkbook, or how to navigate the VA or the GI Bill, um, it's real easy to get tripped up in life. And then when you add uh, some of the stuff that men and women come home with, PTSD or other mental or physical injuries uh, from their service, it just makes it even worse. And then you've got the issues with the VA and the medications uh, that are being prescribed. Um, you have, uh, you know, the there's a there's a a check to your ego. I mean, you go into the service and you you work your way up the ranks and you become important. You're doing some very important work, regardless of your MOS in the military. You're you're making life and death decisions. 99% of the, the jobs out there are very, very critical in the military. And when you get out, you basically start life back over and you're back in a classroom or a work environment with 18 and 19 year old kids who haven't done or seen a 10th of what you have. Uh, and you're now equal to them. And I think subconsciously that's a kick in the ego, which also contributes to, um, when times get tough, you know, why is this happening to me? You know, I've done all this stuff for my country and, um, you know, so there's many contributing factors, but again, I think it's for the most, what I've seen, it's life happens. Um, and men and women unfortunately don't have access or the knowledge to the resources to prevent themselves from getting into the position or from, uh, digging out of the hole that they might find themselves in. So that's where we come in. Um, you know, right now we're providing mostly reactionary assistance. So we find out about someone who has a need and then we react. Uh, whereas our long-term goals are to provide more preemptive assistance so that men and women who have served can be brought into a network of, again, like-minded Americans and their fellow veterans so that before they go, they move to Texas and try to get an engineering degree and, and get the VA bill or GI bill and, and navigate the VA, um, we can connect them with somebody who's gone that same route and help them so they don't have to make the same mistakes others have made and then build off that network. So we can, again, provide preemptive assistance so that men and women don't ever get into the situation to need assistance in the first place. That's um, is a very complex issue, but uh, definitely we have learned a lot about the, the many factors that are unfortunately uh, hurting the veteran community right now.
Right, and and it, it's it's extremely complex. And after um, several years of of the country as a whole trying to figure out the best way to to deal with this issue, I think. Well, one obviously it hasn't been figured out yet, and then, but I, I also do think that with the wars going on for this long, and and so many veterans coming home, and and you know getting out of the military. And experiencing combat, or um, you know, the, you know, experiencing different uh, experiences overseas in, in, in a conflict zone, I think awareness is pretty high now, and I think people are really making an effort to try and figure this out. And I, I think we could potentially be closer to figuring it out than we ever were before. Yeah, uh, I, I mean. We definitely, as a country, have learned uh, a lot. I mean, for instance, the term PTSD um, has been called many things over the years, um, you know, shell shock and, and other stuff. But I, you're right. We are learning as a nation more about it. Um, but I also think that one of the, the things that prevents non-veterans from assisting is just they don't know or understand what the issues are. Um, and they don't want to approach people. I mean, you know, I think a lot of people think that PTSD is 99% of why people are committing suicide. Um, and that, I don't know what the exact numbers are, but that hasn't been anywhere close to my experience working with a foundation. It's more, um, again, it's definitely a factor in many different people, but it's life tripping people up and a snowball effect getting bad real quick because they don't have the skills uh, or connections um, to, to take the necessary steps in life after they get out. And teaching the civilian world, uh, introducing them to the veteran community, uh, explaining to people what's going on, uh, and most importantly, how they can help if they want to, uh, is crucial in, in tackling the issues and making sure that we provide veterans with the health care and assistance and um, uh, you know, everything that they deserve, um, ultimately none of this is possible. None of this American dream is possible if they don't do what they do and what they've done. And, um, obviously they're being neglected, uh, and it's unsat and we've got to do something about it. So a lot, a lot to improve on for sure. Right. Um, so Drew, you and, and John, you guys, kind of hooked up in a sort of a unique circumstance. Can you guys talk about that a little bit? Yeah, sure. So, um, you know, as a reserve commander, my unit is over in Mobile, Alabama, but I, I live in Baton Rouge, Louisiana, where back in uh, August of last year, uh, we suffered some pretty horrific flooding, um, worst flooding on record in, in this area. And uh, within about 48 hours or so, uh, a group of gentlemen from the, the Recon and Sniper Foundation had, uh, you know, through, through our network of brothers, found out that there were some other reconnaissance Marines who were, uh, who were sideways as a result of the flooding. And, and they mobilized it and got guys down here to uh to help with getting myself and a number of other marines back on our feet um you know as quickly as could be um and 
you know, once once we got guys back on their feet, then we started looking for other uh, Marines who were in need. And uh, there, there's another uh, reserve unit right here in Baton Rouge. And there's some folks uh, from that unit who were affected by the flood. And we went out and, and did some work, uh, you know, to get them get them right. Uh, and then we continued to look and found some folks a little bit further to the West out in Lafayette that needed some help. Um, and we kept digging and found some retired Marines who needed help getting back on their feet. Um, you know, including a, a Sergeant major who had retired out of eight tanks. Um, a, uh, gentleman who was a Korean war vet was at the damn chosen reservoir with Chesty Puller and, and about the most resilient man you would, you would ever meet. Um, we just, you know, one of the Marines from the, uh, RNS foundation found him, uh, out at a restaurant on a Sunday morning and just went up to him and, you know, asked him, uh, Hey, were you, you know, you a Marine? Pretty obvious because the guy was wearing a you know sateen Korean War area era uh, eight point cover. Um, but sure enough, yeah, you know Marine who was his house was decimated by the flood, um, and you know together we we did a lot of work to try and help get him back on his feet. Uh, as much as we actually went out and uh, bought him a replacement truck because he had lost his vehicle in the flood. Um, you know, and then we just kept working and kept working, kept looking for people that had issues and, and needed, um, needed help and, and started branching out outside of the, you know, obviously outside of the reconnaissance community already, um, even outside of the Marine Corps and, you know, really started doing some work also helping out some of our local first responders, you know, our police officers, our firemen, uh, because those guys a- after this event, they didn't have the opportunity to, to go home and, and start doing any type of recovery work. You know, they, they were out on the street doing their job. Um, so we, you know, we did a lot of work with the, with the first responders and trying to help them, help them, uh, you know, get right. Uh, and I tell you, absolutely rewarding experience having the opportunity to work with the, uh, you know, w- with this group of former reconnaissance Marines and snipers uh, doing all of this. And I tell you, one, one of the most, it, I, I guess, one of the most rewarding moments for me in the whole thing was we had found one of my uh, one of my former Marines. His parents' house was just absolutely uh, decimated. And we spent, I want to say it was about three days uh, on their house alone, pulling up uh, hardwood floors, ripping out um, drywall. I mean, we basically took everything, everything out of the house. Uh, and, you know, what really hit me was at some point um, I, I, I heard uh this Marine, uh, Larry, his mother said, said to her husband, she just kind of looked at me and goes, uh, you know, baby, it's going to be okay. The, uh, the Marines are here. <laughs> and, you know, it, it was one of those moments where it, it was almost like something you would see in a movie, but I, I right. stood there and I was like, did I just hear that? And, and it really, you know, it was that moment that it really hit home, um, the, the effect that, you know, this, this brotherhood that we have can have on 
people and and the work that you know was done was just uh, it, it hard to really describe um the the coming together and the the selflessness um that that was demonstrated by everybody who who came in here and and you know really kind of put aside um their lives to to make a difference for for folks that they didn't know um at before this happened in any way shape or form right and that that's pretty awesome and you know i think it's a, a testament to the character of you know men and women who serve in the united states marine corps and and then specifically uh the guys who are in in your kind of uh area of the marine corps um and drew how long were you in the in the marine corps uh, so I have been in since, uh, 1992. Uh, I had a little bit of, uh, of broken time when I came up with a brilliant idea to, uh, to come off of active duty and, uh, and go to law school. And I practiced law in Baton Rouge for a couple of years before deciding that that really wasn't for me, uh, and went back into the Marine Corps reserves and have had the, uh, I've been blessed to spend a, a lot of my time as a reservist, uh, back on, on active duty orders and, uh, and doing some meaningful work as well. So, uh, it, it's, been, it's, it's been a, uh, you know, an interesting career, which has gone through a couple of different iterations from reserve duty to active duty to <laughs> a break to, you know, back in and off of active duty as a reservist. <laughs> That's awesome. So, you know, with, with the, you know, with the the speed of the wars in Iraq and Afghanistan, you know, the, uh, the way things were done in the military, uh, things had to change and kind of adapt to the new kind of war that was is being fought now, um, and you know, I, obviously for the audience, I'm sure a lot of the audience is familiar with reconnaissance marines, um, you know, marine scout snipers, marsoc marines. Uh, can we talk just a little bit about because in order to become a reconnaissance marine, you'd have to go through a selection process. Can we talk about some of that uh, for? maybe any of the uh, younger members of the audience who would be interested in potentially uh, joining the reconnaissance Marine ranks? Um, you know, I, I think uh, Lieutenant Colonel Ralston and I maybe could tag team that one if that's okay with you, sir. Um, I've absolutely, I was over in Okinawa and I kind of, I not kind of, I did go through a very unique process of how I got into the reconnaissance community. Um, and I think the steps now are different. Um, at the time that I went in, it wasn't a pr uh, the 0321 wasn't a primary MOS. 0321 is the reconnaissance marine or reconnaissance man uh, MOS, and again, it was a secondary. Uh, I actually originally signed up for the infantry, and my entire infantry platoon was sent from California to Okinawa, uh, despite there not being a, a permanent infantry unit there. Uh, so they gave us a few options. You could try out for recon, you could try out for the scout sniper platoon, or you could be an administrative person and then rotate back to the U.S. in a year. Uh, I was a better swimmer than I was a shooter, so I tried out for recon and, and went from there. Um, traditionally, you will have to, uh, you know, if you're in the Marine Corps and you want to go to a reconnaissance unit, the first step uh, is to take an in-doc. Um, 
those it's a mental and physical challenging event uh that weeds out people who are who would like to become a reconnaissance marine um very first step you know you do a, a physical fitness test um then you uh you go on to do ruck runs and swims uh and other again physical and mental events for 24 to 48 hours um until it's complete uh when i was in it was the indocs were always different there was a few things that were you know the pft and the swim times uh and the ruck run distance was always pretty standard um but beyond that it was kind of whatever that command wanted to do um to make sure you were the right person to go on to the next step. Uh, so after you pass the NDOC, um, if you're again with another unit, you'll get orders to the reconnaissance unit that you want to uh, join and then begin a, uh, pre pre recon school course. At the time I was in, it was called rip, which is the recon indoctrination program. Um, and then once you go through rip, uh, the next step would be to go to the basic reconnaissance course or the amphibious reconnaissance school, um, which one's on the East coast, one's on the West coast. Um, and then from there you go on to follow on schools, but I'll let, uh, uh, Drew talk about maybe some of the changes that are different now. And I know that now that 0321 is a primary MOS, uh, men can go straight from boot camp to whatever school it is for their MOS, uh, or they can go to boot camp, infantry school, and then to the reconnaissance school as a primary MOS. So you can actually sign up for it. Uh, if you meet the physical and mental requirements in boot camp, so uh, again, I'll let Drew speak to the differences now. But uh, that's how that was a path when I was in. Yeah, and John, I'll tell you what, you, you pretty much hit hit the the differences before you turned it over to me. And you know, sure as anything, they they'll continue to to change and evolve, and, and there will be slight, you know. Uh, improvements or additions or subtractions as we go along. I think what I'd rather talk about is just, just a couple of the intangibles and, and this, this, you know, like you, like you said, John, this is towards maybe some of the uh, younger ones in the audience who may be thinking about it and do they really uh, have the, the wherewithal to, uh, you know, to, to become a reconnaissance Marine. Um, and, and I'll tell you, you know, I, I think there's a couple simple intangibles and number one is that you, you have to have the, the mental toughness that's required to endure some, some grueling tasks and some long nights, um, alone and unafraid on the edge of the empire. You, you've got to be a very resilient inf- individual who, who can, you know, who, who can take a punch, um, whether that is a punch, you know, physically, emotionally, mentally, spiritually, you name it. But, but you got to have the re- resilience to bounce back when things don't go your way, when an obstacle's thrown in front of you um, and, and keep driving towards your objective, whatever that objective may be. Um, and then, you know, you, you have to have the absolute unwavering desire to be one of the best. Um, if you don't have that, then you're, you're going to have a, a lot of long, <laughs> long days at work. Um, and then finally, uh, you know, frankly, the ability to swim doesn't <laughs> hurt because um, we lose a whole lot of kids in the, uh, in the build process uh, who just 
they can't swim their way out of a wet paper bag with a rip start in it. Um, <laughs> so, you know, but, but 90, 95% of it is mental and it's the, it's the willingness to, to keep driving on when, when obstacles are thrown in, in front of you and the, and the desire to just absolutely persevere. Um, you know, that, that, that's what it really takes is that, that what's in your heart more so than, uh, more so than anything else, I think. Right. And, and, you know, it's, it's interesting because that kind of that mindset, that mental toughness and resilience, it, it can be applied, you know, anywhere in life. And I think, you know, for the audience, it it's like, you know, if, if you want to be great at anything, you need to have that in your mind, you know, like uh, whether it's starting up a company or accomplishing something that's physically tough. If people want to climb a mountain, right, you got to realize that it's, you know, it's one step at a time to get up and there's only one way up the mountain. If you look at it like you look, you look at the whole mountain and you get daunted by the task and then you get put off and then you don't want to do it, you'll never make it that way. Um, and if you kind of take it one step at a time, one event at a time, you know, whether it be for selection or for uh, accomplishing your goals uh, outside of the military, you know, you need to have that. I think that kind of applies uh, in all areas of life, you know? Yeah. And, and to, you know, piggyback on what you guys are saying, the mental aspect of things. Um, when you, like, when you, like you said, climbing a, a mountain, when you go to climb that same mountain for the second time, it's easier because that mental unknown, those fears of the unknown, um, that's not there. You know what to anticipate and you know that you can do it. Uh, but when you go into something for the first time and if you're not mentally prepared for it, it can destroy you. And uh, eventually you learn that, um, and I learned this when I was in a cadre position when we would have our in-docs uh, in Okinawa when people would come to try out to be in a recon marine. And I'd see these guys that were huge, just machine gunners that you know looked like bodybuilders. And I'd see them quit, or some of them. And then I'd see a guy who, uh, you know, to use uh, Drew's analogy, couldn't fight their way out. It looked like they couldn't fight their way out of a wet paper bag, uh, smoke the indoc. You know, some nerdy-looking skinny kid smokes the indoc, and this big machine gunner guy with big muscles uh, sinks in the pool. So it's, you know, I learned that through situations like that in my own that uh, the mental aspect of what you're doing uh, and having a positive mental attitude and uh, success being your only option for an outcome makes or breaks, like, like Drew said, 95% of the people that are out there. It's a big, it's a big part of, uh, everything we do. So, um, yeah, prepares you for life. That's for sure. For whatever next step you have. Right. Um, so Drew, would you be able to, you know, you've had a long career in, in the Marine Corps, would you be able to share a, a story of an experience perhaps that stood out to you, uh, maybe from a deployment or just something that stood out to you that the audience might have some value in? Sure. Um, I, I guess, you know, you're, you never really cease to be amazed at, at what Marines can do when they, when they come together and work towards a, uh, you know, work towards an objective. And, and I'll tell you that, you know, my last deployment was in 2014 uh, until you know early 2015. We went and did some theater security cooperation work 
in uh, in the kingdom of Jordan. And I went over there with a very small team. It was about 18 to, uh, to 20 Marines and sailors. And we were supposed to be just teaching the Jordanian uh, security forces procedures. Um, you know, th- their real role in Afghanistan had been to uh, guard the gates at varying different places, uh, whether it was uh, the uh, international airport up in uh, Kabul or, you know, some of the Jordanians were providing, uh, you know, gate guard duties uh, down at, uh, at Camp Leatherneck in, uh, in Helmand province. Um, and shortly after we started this deployment, uh, my team of 18 uh, grew into a team of about, you know, I don't know, several hundred uh, as we managed to get rolled up into the uh, the special purpose MAGTAF that was in uh, in Kuwait at the time. And, and we were basically spread out all over the Middle East between a, a number of different places. Um, and, I, you know, I was I was blessed to have, uh, in addition to myself, a, a, a handful of uh, of reconnaissance Marines that made really the, the backbone of the team. Um, but but I had Marines of all different MOSs uh, from, uh, you know, 18 guys from about 14 different units who would come up, come together and, and formed, uh, you know, in a very short time frame before deploying. And then, you know, after getting in country, had missions completely change on us about as far as as they possibly could. Um, you know, and, and this is one of those instances where you just, you saw the, the resiliency, you saw the, the resourcefulness of, of Marines and, and how really, um, you know, they, they can adapt, they can, they can overcome obstacles, uh, you know, to, to use a little bit of uh, gunny highway there. Um, you know, but but it's something that that never ceases to amaze when you see it put into you know into action and, and the ability of a bunch of uh, young men to to seamlessly pull off what would you know at first blush seem to be uh, damn near impossible and, and you know sure they gripe and they complain about it but but at the end of the day you know they always, they always seem to be able to accomplish the mission. Um, and, and, you know, I, I guess that, that is the thing that really does, uh, help set us apart from everybody else is that, you know, it, it's, it's mission first always. And we always seem to be able to, uh, you know, drive the ball over the fence, um, when we need to. So, uh, Yes. You know, like, like I said, that that was a, uh, a recent, uh, you know, experience that, that just kind of it, it stands out in my mind as what uh, what Marines can do when you when you give them the opportunity and uh, and challenge them. And were you working as a commanding officer at the time of this rotation? Yeah, I mean, I was I was the debt commander over there. Um and so uh, I was one of four uh, lieutenant colonel commands that, that made up the, uh, the the special purpose MAGDAF. <laughs> okay, cool. So 
you know, as a, a commanding officer, um, in a, in a, a, uh, unit like the reconnaissance Marines, you know, one thing that I've seen from different veterans who have got out of the service, whether they've been, you know, some sort of infantry or, um, special operations guys is people seem outside of the military, like perhaps, you know, like fortune 500 companies or, or, you know, companies that are trying to, uh, like develop cohesion within their team and that sort of thing they're hire veterans to come in and kind of talk about leadership and team building and that sort of thing um for the audience and and for any you know potential men and women who are are looking to join the military and become officers and and leaders um do you have like any any advice or any resources, like any reading resources, maybe they can check out to kind of help them and, and understand a little more in, in the re- leadership realm? Well, let's see. I, I tell you what, I, I give you one book and um, my, uh, my, my boss is going to be happy that I mentioned this because I, I just finished reading it. Um, but, and it was, kind of his book before he uh, turned it over to me. But there, there's a book by a guy named James Kerr uh, who follows the New Zealand All Blacks Rugby Club and their secrets or, or, or their, uh, yeah, their secrets to, to leadership and winning. And I, I'll tell you, it is remarkably similar to what we try to instill in leaders in, in the Marine Corps. Um, and, and, you know, it, it's it really truly is a good read. Um, and it gives you, an, you know, some insight into the facts that or the fact that the things that we do in the military and I think in the Marine Corps in specific, although it doesn't really, you know, attribute anything to the United States Marine Corps, but, but you, as you read it, you can see the parallels, um, and, and how those, uh, you know, our tenants of leadership really can help lead to success in, in other areas that seem to be very, uh, uh, unconnected. So it's a book called legacy by, uh, James Kerr. Okay, cool. So, so anyone listening, check that out, obviously, um, Drew has a lot of experience in in his time in the Marine Corps, and and Drew, before we get out of here, what would how would you define good leadership? Wow, that that's that's one of those tough questions. Um, you know, of how to define uh, how to define good leadership. I mean, I I think that a a good leader is one who is able to balance, um, the, uh, you know, balance mission accomplishment with ensuring that, um, they're, they're taking care of their, uh, taking care of their Marines. Um, and you have to do both because it's really a cyclic, um, process where if you take care of your Marines, then they will inevitably be more invested in, in ensuring that the mission gets accomplished. Um, you know, and, and, you know, accomplishing the mission is in fact, taking care of them. Um, 
So, you, you know, you have to find the right balance of, of those two things and, and realize that sometimes, uh, you know, taking care of your Marines is, is, is you know, I guess the, you know, term we used to use is tough love. Um, you know, sometimes you have to give, tell them things that they don't want to hear. Um, sometimes you, you have to tell them when they're, uh, you know, when they're not meeting the mark and be very frank with them because, you you need to be able to uh, to give them that insight to the fact that hey you, you know look brother you're just you're not meeting the mark this is what you're doing wrong and and not just you know let them know that there may be some place where they're falling short but also what they need to do in order to improve and that's you know what I mean that that's a tough thing to do is to be able to look another man straight in the eye and be like you're not getting it done. Um, you need to improve and here's what you need to do to get better. Uh, I, there's a lot of us that just, they don't have the, uh, the guts to be able to do that. But, you know, I, I think that's one of those things that a, they true, they true leader who cares about, you know, who cares about winning and cares about taking care of their men, um, needs to be able to do it. And I'll tell you, it, it gets harder and harder, um, for a lot of our, our young men to do as we get into this more, more and more disconnected, um, you know, electronics, heavy social media age where people just, they've lost the ability to sit down and, uh, you know, and talk to one another. And that has all kinds of ripple effects in other areas as well. But, um, you know, that, I guess that was kind of a little bit long-winded answer. I, I'm not sure if I uh, if I laid it out well or not, but but I think it, it's a tough, uh, you know. No, it's it, good leadership's a tough thing to define because uh, there's a lot of different ways to 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 do it well, and there there is no set right answer, if you will. Right, right, and and I think you did a good job, and uh, you know, I I just hope that the you know, young men and women who are looking to uh, join the military and, and whatever service it is, whether it be Marine Corps, uh, you know, Air Force, Army, Navy, uh, you know, they can take away some value from it. And, um, you know, I, I just want to thank you for your continued service and uh, thank you for everything you've done for this country. Um, and thank you for coming on the podcast. Yeah, no, thank you. I, I'm I'm truly blessed to be able to continue to serve, and uh, you know, happy to that I, I will continue to do it as long as it remains um, fun for me. All right, cool, brother. It was great talking to you, and, and like I said, you know, I appreciate you taking out the time and, and coming on here. Yep, absolutely. Leadership, you know, um, it's something that I find that's to be extremely important, and something that you know as humans we should always you know try and seek new understanding and look at ourselves truly and not with any misconceptions and be able to you know offer some constructive criticism you know to ourselves and to others and in an effort to become better people and you know with the way things have kind of turned out in the last, I don't know, maybe 25 years or so for younger generations of Americans who are coming up, you know, you watch television and, or you see all these kind of ads and 
certain things that are put in your face that are really useless and and they really don't do any kind of good or services to people who are trying to become adults and effective people and you know hopefully something like that can change you know instead of watching commercials you know trying to sell you something all the time you know how about we watch commercials that can teach you lessons you know life lessons and things that would be valuable to children and, and you know that kind of thing um, I, maybe that's a little, a little radical, uh, for today's world and today's generations, but you know, it's just something that I find would be a huge benefit to the country for our, our sustainment and, and future leadership and, and that sort of thing. So, you know, I enjoyed having them on. They both do great work. Um, they are Americans who put people ahead of them they work for towards you know a greater purpose they s- sacrifice and and spend a lot of time helping people and it's really something that i find inspiring and i hope that you guys can as well uh with that being said i would like to close out this episode as always i encourage you to subscribe download share the episodes with your friends and family on facebook on instagram on twitter on tumblr LinkedIn, if you have it. Uh, my website is globalrecon.net. My Instagram account is IG Recon. We have a second account called Black Ops Matter. There's a third account, which I help manage and post on from time to time. It's owned and ran by my friend Chantel Taylor. It's called Mission Underscore Critical. Check it out. I'm also on Twitter at IG Recon. I'm on LinkedIn. To search Global Recon. We have some interesting episodes planned out for you guys over the next couple of weeks. Some really good guests will be on and you'll hear some cool stories and hear some things and hopefully learn some things. So with that being said, we'll see you guys in a couple of days with another episode. Peace. Peace.